Um, we're, we're moving in here to our, our study of Ephesians, and uh, it fits well in, into this uh, con- considering our missionaries and our friends who are around the world, and even considering just us here in our own uh, community. We're in a place where people, this Engage Global Weekend, people come from all over the place to do this because uh, they want to come to a place, a city, a community, where they can engage in different cultures and not have to like, fly around the world. And we live right in, in that, in, and you know that. Um, and so, so, so I'm think, I've been thinking about this a lot, thinking about the world and all these people around. And this week I was praying uh, a little more for some of these missionaries as I saw the video and was thinking more about them, thinking about uh, why they would do this, why you would go. And, and obviously, right, they'd say, well, Jesus, I want people to know him. I want them to know the joy and the peace, the life that comes from him. But what, I mean, this seems, it seems almost crazy at times because we live in a world that, that isn't just a place where if I went and moved somewhere to live somewhere new, I could just pick, it, pick up life because it would be different. There'd be different food and customs and cultures and people. And depending on who I was, uh, I might be moving to a place that might even be hostile to me because we live in a world that literally creates boundaries. Like we've drawn lines between people Groups, maybe on a global scale, we can see that as we look at a map. Um, I've noticed it's even, uh, there's, have you guys played Wordle? At least some of you I know, because I see you post every day. You tell me how quick you find your word. There's one called Worldle, like the world. And it just shows you the outline of a country and you have to guess which country it is. And if you get it wrong, it tells you how far away you are from the real country. It's made me realize I, I have no idea about most countries except like four. And so every time I guess, and I'm like, I have no, when you, all you see is the little outline and you go, this is going to be one that I don't know. Uh, and then it is. Um, but I, right, we're aware of these boundaries that are created at, on a global scale. I think we're also aware of how quickly boundaries get drawn, lines get made, walls get even put up, uh, even in a lot less, like, right, we see that in our own continents, in our own countries, in our own really backyards, right? How quickly uh, walls get put up and maybe not geographically, but just relationally, we feel this. We can celebrate uniqueness in, in cultures, but often we can find ourselves using it to maybe even feel better about ourselves or worse, I wish I was like those people. It becomes isolating and separating. We feel far from each other. And so sometimes these boundaries, these things really become a way to kind of keep someone out or, or maybe we are trying to keep ourselves out of a situation. So why would people want to go to other places? You, you just, just watching this video for five minutes, uh, I got sick just watching two different motorcycle videos within it. Did you notice that? I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not hopping on the back of a motorcycle, weaving through traffic. I kept thinking like, why aren't they staying on their side of the road? <laughs> that must not be a thing where they are. Um, I, I mean, just those things are scary to cross those lines and then get into like actual hostile things. Actually, people who are, are willing to hurt someone because they look different or because they're from a different place or they speak differently or they, or they worship differently. I mean, wh- why would you do this? Why would a missionary or a church planner even... Why would the people who launched this church just over two years ago think they could come and bring any kind of joy or unity or peace 
to the world or to a community. It's because um, we know that's really not our church. We know that there's one that actually brings an end to hostility, one that actually brings peace, that actually tears down walls. There's a peace that can be brought into lives, breaking down walls, no longer separating, but, but uniting people. And this is the God, this is Jesus who we could talk about today. And this is the passage we have today in Ephesians. We're in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're in chapter two, right? The end of chapter two. So if you want to crack open your Bibles, if you have them or open your app or otherwise, uh, most of the scripture is going to be right here on the screen. We are at the end of Ephesians and we're going to look at what it looks like. This is, this is like a, the motivation for why a person could say, I'm willing to go to this place that seems different. In fact, there's literally been lines drawn, sometimes maybe actual walls to try to hold me out, keep me out. I'm going to go because I know there's someone who actually can bring me together. The person can, can cause unity amongst people who normally there is no reason to have unity. And so today we're in Ephesians 2. We're at the end, chapter 11, we're going to start, or verse 11, we're going to start in and look at this great truth, this, this very true reality of a God who uh, does not see the lines drawn and has made a way for people who are very different and very far away to come together in him. All right, so we're going to start here in Ephesians 2, 11. Let me just start read this first paragraph for us. Therefore, remember that formerly... You, are gent, uh, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ." All right, we start here with the word, therefore. This happens all the time in scripture. And just a great reminder to say, okay, therefore. So he's saying because of this thing, this other thing is true. And so just a quick summary of the passages before this in, in Ephesians 2 and uh, in, in really Ephesians 1, it just reminds us of this, that God has taken us, his grace has taken us from death into his good works, to his good plans. That's, I think, about what we need to remember. Because of this work that God has done has rescued us from death, from the grave and given us life in the work of Christ, we now can remember. He uses this word remember. This is actually the first time an imperative is used. And it's actually the only time in the first three chapters of Ephesians. An imperative is when we're commanded or, or asked to do something, which often when we're reading scripture, and I think I've been doing that in Ephesians, I'm reading it. I quickly go to like, what does God want me to do? Or what am I supposed to do? I got to do something. And some of that comes from because I, I want to make God happy. Or I got to do this thing. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. And actually in Ephesians, we have not been given a word yet that said, okay, so go do this. And right now we just did. Isn't that interesting? The, the whole first chapter and part of the second is just telling us the truth of who God is and what he's done to rescue us and bring us into his family, to bring us, give us life when we are dead. And now Paul finally says, okay, I have something I do want you to do. Great, what is it? What is it? Do we get to go storm the gates of hell? Am I gonna, I gotta go love some people well? And he says, you should remember something. Like that seems kind of like what we're already doing. <laughs> he says, remember, because remembrance is very important 
to scripture. This passage is calling us to remember something that maybe we have forgotten. It's a core command that we see throughout Old and New Testament. This is something that God is always asking his people to do. I think because maybe we're forgetful people. Sometimes we start thinking it's about us or about something else other than him. God actually sets up in the Old Testament lots of festivals and many of them are to remember. Lots of the reasons why God's people were gathering, lots of the things we turned into rules that we thought made God happy with us, so therefore he loved us. Those things started as him just saying, I want you to gather and remember what I have done. And that would cause you to, to just want to turn to me. It caused you to be filled and overflow my love to others. Things like Passover was a time where we just remember that death passed over God's people when the blood of an innocent lamb was shed. That's why we get, that's why we gather for Passover. There's things like the festival of booze, remembering time when God's people lived in tents. There's times like Jesus commanding us to take communion. Not because he says, you gotta take communion, otherwise I don't forgive you. But he says, take communion and remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. Come in and eat bread and wine and remember that my body was broken and my blood was shed. Because when we remember, ultimately remembering just the gospel, this good news of what Christ has done, it changes us. Baptism is a time for us to remember that we were, we were uh, put in the, in the grave with Jesus. We died and that we rose with Jesus. That's what we're doing at baptism. We're just saying, hey, everybody, let's gather and remember what Christ has done. And we even gather weekly. We're here right now together. Why do we gather? Because we want to just remember the gospel. Because every week, every day, multiple times a day, I need to be reminded of this good news. Because remembering changes us. We're remembering kind of people. And we remember what Christ has done. This great truth, it changes us. And he says, I want you to remember something really important Um, because it's going to change how you're going to interact with the people around you. It's going to change how you interact with me. And so he says, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. He said you were Gentiles. Gentiles is a term to describe people who were not Jewish people. We're not, uh, if you're reading your Old Testament, we're not like God's chosen people. So you're people that were considered far away. In fact, this group called the circumcision called you the uncircumcised. The circumcision to me sounds like like a punk band. If anyone's going to start a punk band, the circumcision, right? It couldn't be like easy listening. They definitely would be a punk band if they use that word. (laughs) A circumcision, if you're uh, unsure why why that's so important, R.C. Sproul said this way, he says, this is a reference to the Old Testament ritual of circumcision that involved the cutting of the foreskin of the flesh from the male Jew. It was a a theological sign, a sacred rite that was undertaken to seal the covenant God had made with his people. It was a physical thing that someone did in order to signify who they were, to make this seal, this commitment with their God. There's a sense in which the circumcised were those who were cut off from the world, set apart, consecrated to the special relationship of being in the family of God. So these people had marked themselves literally on their bodies. It says in our passage, even like with human hands, something that was done with human hands. It's an interesting way to clarify. I think he's trying to to point something, point us somewhere. He says, those people would say, hey, you're not circumcised. You're not part of God's family. And so Paul is saying, hey, remember you are those people who are even 
that, that God's people would say, you're not part, part of this. They'd say, hey, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, he says. Remember that you were far away from him, excluded from citizenship in Egypt, in Israel. You weren't even allowed to hang out be it, it, with God's people and you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope, without God in the world. What a heavy sentence. You are without hope and without God in the world. That sounds kind of like the beginning of Ephesians 2. You were dead in your sin and your, in your trespasses. You were dead. You were far from God, without hope, excluded from a future, excluded from Christ and God's people. He wants you to remember, remember this is where you were. A lot like earlier in Ephesians, he says you were dead so that you can understand how good this good news is. You were far from Christ, but there's another one of those moments. But now in Christ Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were far away, but because of Jesus, you're brought near. So he's reminding, reminding us, don't forget that you were once really far away. You weren't even considered part of God's people. You were doing your own thing as Gentiles, and now you have brought, been brought near to Christ. And as we continue in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He's talking about Jesus, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. It says this Jesus came, there was this separation, right? This wall of hostility, these barriers, he's destroyed them. He hasn't like made a way for you over them or maybe put a gate in. It says those don't exist. And the work that Jesus has done has, has taken away the division between these people. This was his purpose. It says his purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So this gives us Christ's purpose. This is a, this is a cool verse because it actually says, this is why Jesus is here. It says it was to create within himself, he is gonna create a new humanity. And so this, this is one where this answers a question of mine. When I'm reading this, I think, okay, so there was like God's people and they must've been doing it right. And then now they're saying, hey, let, let the Gentiles in. Let them, come on, let them in. Jesus says, hey guys, come on. They seem cool. Let's let them in. Let's let them join the band and we'll all be one big happy family. And in fact, this verse says, oh no, no. All of you needed reconciliation. You, you may have been, God's people, but all of you needed this. God, Jesus, does this work to bring all of us to him of the work he's doing on the cross. Jews and Gentiles both needed saving, both needed rescuing. Everybody needed it. All of us were separated. 
So what we see here is we see the Jewish people who Jesus uh, shows this as, he, as we get close to Easter now, he shows this in those weeks before Easter, before he goes on a cross, he comes in over and over and tells the people, hey, you've created these systems that you think if people just can fit into the systems and do everything right, then God is happy with them. That's not how it works. And he stands before Gentiles and says, hey, you worship other gods, you worship yourself. Uh, that doesn't work either. Both of you need to be reconciled, to be made right for the walls that come down so that you can have a relationship again with God. Gentiles, you are far from God. You need the Lord and Jews, you're far from God. You need Jesus. He's come to rescue both. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. That's why that that verse is there now. So it explains, hey, some of you were really far. Some of you were near, but he's saying, hey, I've come with true peace, preaching peace to make us, us, to bring us together to be one. And the, the verse before we hear a new, a new thing, I'm making a new humanity. I'm not saying you're not welcome to this humanity. I'm saying this is new. Jesus has come to new. In Christ, we have peace. So no longer an ethnicity that we see mentioned here in this passage or a religious practice or how good of a Jew they were or how well they followed the rules or even how terrible of a person they were. None of, none of that changed that Jesus came and died and rose and then all of them now have access. So through Christ and in Christ, they all become one. A question here that, that I've been thinking about is what really bothers me the most about this. Maybe not, none of this bothers you, but there's something that like doesn't sit right with me. This happens to me when I hear stories of, uh, of people who, I, who in my mind have done really like bad things, at least in Drew's categories. And then they, uh, like the spirit changes them and they come to know Jesus and people celebrate it. And that's the moment that bothers me. Someone goes, oh, I'm so glad they're here. So glad they're saying, ah, they did some bad stuff though. It's not fair. I did a lot of good things. I was a really good kid. I, I remember being in, a, in college ministry and, and hearing like someone share the story. They only had the kids share stories who were like drug addicts and then they came to Christ and they did new drugs. And I was always thinking like, I have not an exciting story. I'd be like, I was a pretty good kid. I went to church and then now I'm a Christian. <laughs> and everyone go like, oh, cool. Not a cool story. Let's get the kid with the crazy story. <laughs> That bothered me. So I wonder like, what part of this bothers you? Does it bother you that good people who follow the rules actually still need Jesus? That bothers me. It shouldn't, right? That's my flesh, that's sin in me going, oh, Drew, you're good enough, you can do enough. Or does it bother you that the rule breakers get Jesus? This is the peace that we get to preach every week. This is why we come together. We're just, just preaching the peace of Jesus to one another. Peace from a legalistic life, one that says I can do all the right things and God's happy with me and preaching that peace comes to the rebellious life where I do whatever I want. I'm my own God and Christ still dies for me. And this Jesus makes us one spirit. We hear this actually in other parts of scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, we hear, for we are all baptized into one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, 
We are all given one spirit to drink. It's just, it's just an incredible thing about the gospel that it doesn't, it doesn't like make us good people. Sometimes I think if you're looking on the outside to a church, you think, well, that church, those are just like good people. They've learned to be good and that's why they gather. The, the reason that we're connected is just because of Jesus, this, this, this unifier of all of us, this one spirit that it crosses ethnicities, it crosses uh, statuses in a community. It, it's pretty incredible. So maybe to better understand this too, it'd be to help understand how the temple worked. That in, in uh, 19 BC, King Herod built a large temple, really big. And he actually incorporated a new thing to the temple, which I think is what Paul might be getting at here. He, he incorporated this new wall around the outside. If you notice, these are the different areas of the temple. This wall here uh, is, is a new wall that he adds so that there can be a court of the Gentiles. So now Gentiles, non-Jewish people could come and still hang out kind of by the temple. If you notice though, there's, there's a wall here. They say this was probably about three feet high. And so Gentiles, non-Jewish people could hang out here. But then if you were Jewish, you were allowed to go in. But then there's another wall. And so just the women could be in this area. And there's another area where like the priest can hang out. Then there's, then there's an area only like only a certain priest can get into the Holy of Holies, right? You can't read that, uh, but this is the Holy of Holies. It's like wall after wall, these levels that you get into, all these walls separating these different people, even within the Jewish people, these walls that, that literally separated the people. So the Gentiles are there, but they're on the outside. They're not allowed to cross. In fact, this stone was discovered. This is a stone that was actually in this wall. So in this three foot high wall, there was a stone and, it, and this is what it read on the stone. Uh, it said, no stranger is to enter within the balustrade, balustrade, which is just a, like a word for kind of this railing wall. It's a cool word though. Try to incorporate that this week into your conversations. No, and no strangers enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. And whoever is caught, will have himself the blame that his death ensues. Like a mystery. So it's saying, if you go past this wall, you, you might be killed. Um, isn't that interesting? I mean, this is like a serious thing. This isn't, hey, we'd love it if you didn't like let non-Jewish people into our temple, the worship that's really important to us. It's like, this is, this is really important. These walls are really important. And so depending on if you were married, depending on your gender, depending on how, uh, what level of priest you were, really only these few select people ever even got to go in this holy of holy, holy is this presence of God. And other people maybe on your behalf went in, they made sacrifices. All these walls set up in order to keep people out or keep people in or separate. So it, when, when they're reading this, when this letter is being read to the people of Ephesus and they're saying there's walls of hostility and you're talking about Jews and Gentiles, this is something they would understand culturally. Like they would say like, oh, like at the temple, like we separate our people. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you're saying that wall comes down? Like all of a sudden we all can be together in this? I think this is something that um, we might easily say those silly people in the first century why would they do this? Why would they divide for 
these seem like silly reasons. Why can't they all hang out with God? I, I, right now for us, we might, that might feel silly. But obviously, right, we have these all over the place. We've created our own balustrades with signs that say, do not cross here. You're in big trouble. Even you might get hurt. We might see this in obvious ways. Like you might think of racism as a place like, oh, wow, clearly we made skin color of people, culture of people, a reason to divide. Absolutely, right? There's a passage that it speaks to this. It says, this isn't a thing. This isn't congruent with the gospel, with the church. But I think there's a lot of other ways we find this, right? We create little balustrades. We see this uh, in our church, even just with things like singleness and marriage, empty nesters, those kids over there, those high school kids over there. Like, well, maybe let's give them a place to hang out so we don't have to like deal with them. You might feel this as we send kids out to kids' church. You might think, oh, do we just send, do we just create like a court of Gentiles for those little Gentile kids who are out in the gym? Right? I think we got to really think about that. Where, where are we putting up? These walls, building our balustrades to, to keep one another out or at least separate us. What would it look like to move towards each other? What would it look like to think differently, to have the gospel inform us of how we view these things? In fact, this, this is one of the things that informs how we view our kids here. If, if you've been around and maybe heard some of the language we talk, we don't view this as let's get the kids out of here so we can actually worship God. But this is an opportunity for us to have a different kind of worship so that kids could understand, that kids could connect with. I actually see a place where the walls have come down even just in the last week. Last week, I walked out of church and there was uh, a couple uh, little friends ran out. They're like this tall. And I was like, hey, what's up guys? How was kids church? And they're like, so good. We ran around with our friend Nate the whole time. He's not, he's not very fast and we could catch him. And then he sat with us and read his stories. He's the best. And I said, oh, I love that Nate is, gets to teach you. And they're like, no, no, our friend Nate, who comes to kids' church with us. Like to, our, to this little guy, Nate, who, who volunteers his time to serve with these kids, is not, a, not an adult who's serving in kids' church. Nate is a friend who happened to like decide to not sit in here, but to go across the hall and thought it'd be fun to run around the gym for a while with some shorter people. You see that? Even just in that moment, like walls are getting, are destroyed. Like Nate just is with his friends who happen to be a lot younger and he's getting to help open the scripture to them and talk to them and just have fun with them. We could easily, we could easily in our church divide those into things, right? And say like, well, you get to do this thing and you get to do this thing because of your age or your stage in life or if you're married or not. What would it look like for us to really take this serious uh, that those things don't get to divide us? And in fact, all, in all of our uh, diversity, Christ gets to unify us. I've seen this outside of our church too, even in the way we talk about other churches. This is one of the things I'm excited about for this VBS that's coming up is that churches in town have said, what if we did this together and we got to run around together? And those are churches that uh, maybe other times we might say like, oh, maybe we'll hang out with them, but what do they believe on this very specific theological thing? In fact, in the process of this, um, uh, so in meeting with our church leaders, someone said, should we maybe sit down and, and unpack all of our theological distinctives to make sure we could have VBS together? 
was like, well, there's no way that's going to end well. Uh, and, well, what are we going to teach at VBS? And they're like, well, there's five days. So it's like, Jesus loves you. He came and died on a cross for you. He brings hope and joy, uh, peace. You're like, I would hope we all maybe agree on those <laughs> basics, right? What if we just got together? Because the value of being together is so important. Instead of quickly saying like, let's figure out what we have different so we can figure out how to build some, some walls. How often we find ourselves in that. Well, Paul is making it very uh, clear here that he believes this and this is really true. In fact, he actually acts on this. We see in the book of Acts, which is, this happens just um, actually before he writes the book of Ephesians, Paul actually believes this and it actually plays out for him when he's in Jerusalem. Almost actually gets him killed. When the seven days, uh, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks, Gentiles, into the temple and defiled this holy place. He brought someone over that line, past that wall, and now it's corrupted, it's dirtied our place, it's, it's defiled this holy place. Because they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So Paul's hanging out with Trophimus. You know how they do, those guys. They're hanging out and he's like, I'm gonna go to the temple, come with me. And Paul like believes this is true, that Christ has died and risen and has destroyed walls of hostility. And he says, come with me, this isn't a thing. This isn't a thing, come with me. Enough that it really angers people, right? This isn't right. We've, we've created these places. And this guy came in and now is ruining our holy place because of Trophimus isn't a, a, a Jewish person. He's, he's dirty or he's not like us. And it's gonna mess up what God has here. And not just mess, it's gonna, it's gonna make God angry with us. It's gonna mess up these laws. We have these rules we have. And now God won't be happy with us. We might not get what we want from God. It's gonna, it's gonna disrupt all that. I love this just because we get a picture of Paul actually living out the reality of what he actually believes, which then he writes to the Ephesians. Could you imagine this letter being read in the Ephesians church? People are looking over at, at Trophimus and they're like, that really happened, man? And he's like, yeah, remember I told you about it? People got really upset. I thought we were gonna die. This is, this is real. This isn't just, that's a cool idea that people are united in Christ. This is a real thing that, that he acts on. So where does this come from? Why does this work? Why does Jesus get to be the one that, that tears down these walls? This goes all the way back. A quick journey through scripture. In, in Genesis, we hear of Adam and Eve who are with God and in his presence and things are good. And then they decide to turn and be disobedient. They remember they eat of the fruit. They're deceived. They say, maybe we don't need God. Maybe we can be our own gods. And they eat the fruit and then, uh, and then sin enters the world. We call it the fall and there's curses. And God makes them, he actually sacrifices animals. He kills animals and uses their, their, uh, the animals to make them close. And then he says, you need to leave this garden now, this place in my presence. It says, so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. 
So you see what he does here? He, kick, he pushes them out. See, you can't be in my presence. I'm very, I'm so holy. You've disobeyed your, there's this fallen nature now of you. And so he does give, graciously gives them these clothes and says, I need you to step out of the garden. And then he doesn't just step out, but he guards it. It's, it's kind of, it's wild. Throughout history, they've, they've painted and drawn lots of things. Uh, they look, how, look how sad they look. This uh, cherubim angel winged creature, the sword says, you can't come in here. It's like, there's a wall now. In fact, this is a, what the inspiration somewhat is for with the curtain that's in the temple. This is a picture of, of the temple. So in that Holy of Holies, in that place that I'd shown before, there's a curtain and then within that curtain is where the high priest, just the, that those few people ever get to go into the presence of God, into that place. And it actually has images that represent the same thing. Like you're now into the presence of God, like you're back in the garden and uh, and so this curtain represents kind of that, like you, only a few people get to go back into this presence and they get to sacrifice to God in there. So I say that because something incredible happens. This for a long, long time, people are separated from God. They're, they're guarded from coming back into his presence, into the garden. And then someone comes to end that, to tear down that wall of hostility. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit the moment when Jesus dies on the cross. He's taken there. He, he takes all of our sin, our death that should be ours, the wrath of God coming on him instead of us. He's on the cross. He cries out, he gives up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Do you see what happens here? When Jesus dies on the cross, that wall, that curtain is tore open. And so now there was a place where people had to, to get to, a, to be the right level, the right person. They were maybe allowed, one person was allowed in there, but they had to move towards and go into that place. And now this curtain is tore open and now tombs can no longer hold dead people. The things that were made, these, these tombs in the ground where they put the dead, no longer can even hold the dead. There's some power that comes out. God's presence right now is, is no longer there, but has like released itself into the world, moving towards people, tearing down these walls. And so Ephesians tells us, consequently, we are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We're no longer strangers or foreign to each other. We're actually a family now, not just friends, but you become God's family built in the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. This is wild. He's just like torn down the temple. This thing made by human hands, made by human people, these laws that were crafted really into what people had made thinking it would get them to God has been torn down. The curtain has been torn. God's spirit has exploded into the world, is moving towards people. And in him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
Listen to what Lynn has to say here. It says, God's per- Christ's purpose is to make something new from what we once, from, <clears throat> from what were once to. Something new from once through two. This new thing is his body, the church, which now has access in Christ to God the Father through the Spirit. The cross is not only the place where believers' sins are forgiven, but also the place where something new is created. The new creation is not simply a new individual, but a new entity. Christ's body, the church. Paul's trying to tell us here, hey, you were raised from the dead and given new life to do God's work, but you were, you, you were brought together. Those walls that we have put up no longer exist. In Christ, we get to come together and gets to build his church. I've seen this image a few times already as we've been in Ephesians. I love it because he's building his church. He's building, he's the cornerstone that holds it all together. We no longer see these boundaries in God's image bearers in his creation, but they have come together to build his church. And you and I get to come together and build in unity his church. Maybe you're not feeling called to missions. You saw the video. I think sometimes if we watch a video like that, then we think like, oh, I should be doing more. I should be somewhere farther away or, or suffering more. It's not the point of it. Those people have been called to that. They feel like they want to go into places that normally there have been barriers and they say because of Christ, that isn't a thing. And I want to be unified with these people. Maybe you're just feeling called to step out. Maybe you just are recognizing a wall that you have. So you know what? The gospel doesn't allow that. This is an opportunity for us each day to be people who bring peace, to be filled with God's peace, people who tear down walls of hostility, move towards people, maybe even have to suffer a little bit in order to be near someone that we normally aren't near. Maybe it's just inviting someone to church that you might feel like they aren't the type that would normally come to church. Everyone's the type that can come to church. And so let's remember this. I'm going to invite our worship team up so we can worship here together. I have an image I want you to leave you with, though. Uh, this is a picture from the, the show, The Chosen. So I, like, I like Jesus in that show so much. Uh, this, is, this is him being embraced. Now we remember kind of two ways we get to, to see the world. Let us remember this, as Paul encourages us to do. Remember that we can now embrace a person, put our faith in this person of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who makes us new, the one who brings unity, tears down walls. Remember though, we once were people who embraced man-made things. We embraced the temple, we embraced walls. We thought maybe making walls is what's gonna actually make me better or keep out the riffraff. And so today you get the opportunity to choose, am I gonna embrace the walls? Or am I going to embrace a person? Am I going to embrace a temple which is made of stone? Or am I going to embrace a loving person? Am I going to uh, embrace a wall or arms? I once was an individual and now I'm family. I once was a, there once was a place I could visit God and now God is in me. used to have to move towards him and hope that I was in the right category to get close. And now Jesus has made it so that we all are with him together. I pray that we'd be people who would believe that and that would change how we walk in our day, how we approach people, how we move towards people. I pray that that would overflow from us, that we'd believe that this great 
uh, miracle has happened and that we could be that for others. A few things to consider as we take time to worship now together. There's communion in the back. It's an opportunity to remember what Christ has done. That's just outside. There's people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you, any, any needs you have. Our worship team's gonna play a couple of three songs for us so we can sing together and worship. And just some things to consider. Do you know that Jesus has done the work to make you family, to make us family? Maybe consider what does that look like just even here within the room? What does it look like for us to really be family? Where are your walls of hostility? How do you usually deal with those walls, those barriers that have been created? Who helps you remember the peace of Jesus? And who could you move towards bringing the good news, maybe over some walls, maybe sneaking through a gate so that someone could hear the good news that normally wouldn't have come to them? Let me pray for us. So we'll continue to worship here together. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us that you have brought us to you. Um, Whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever we've not done, your sacrifice on a cross has torn open the curtain. Your spirit has come. It dwells in us. It changes us. And I pray that you would change us today. Make us a church, Lord, that, um, that this is a reality in, that people would feel f- like family in where they don't feel like that in other places. That we'd be people who would not build walls, that, but help you, join you in taking those walls down. We love you. You're so good to us. Amen.